0: Out of Boston, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean.
1: Good afternoon. I believe it's day, the last three days, day three to the countdown to 100 days of call-in. So that will be all. We're going to wrap up this chapter, but I've got some interesting News developments to share with you uh, concerning a Rolling Stone article that came out uh, citing James Gordon Meek. James Gordon Meek is a fellow who, for all intensive purposes, he's a guy who uh, was taken into custody by the FBI and uh, he has not been really seen since. He resigned his post at, at ABC as a national security producer and then uh no one's really heard from him so i was looking i was poking around for follow up reporting on like what happened to James Gordon Meek and it's not meeks it's meek uh singular and there's still no real news of what happened to the guy but uh i'm i'm more than willing to discuss this uh new policy That appears to be coming from the Biden administration I just hope that it's they said that it was codified into law Um, also says new Justice Department policy marks historic shift in press protection this is a watershed moment said Bruce D Brown executive director of the reporters committee for freedom of the press I hope he didn't speak too soon and this was in October 26th of 2022. Uh, today, the U.S. Department of Justice announced changes to its news media guidelines that for the first time expressly prohibit members of the department from using subpoenas or other investigative tools against journalists who possess and publish classified information obtained in news gathering with only narrow exceptions. I certainly am interested in the narrow exceptions because of the case of WikiLeaks. Um, I'll come back to this, but I do want to make good on the final chapter reading of The Trial of Julian Assange, which has realized in my consciousness that there are atrocities happening to members of the press, members of the U.S. media, members of the international media that are ongoing Um, especially when it comes to trying to answer for crimes that aren't crimes to the national security state, our national security state, which sucks. Okay, so we're going to pick up where we left off. Playing out the plot, U.S. Appeal to the High Court of Justice. Tellingly, although the U.S. government has transmitted its provisional grounds for appeal to the British High Court of Justice, As early as 15 January of 2021, followed by a perfected version on 11 February, it would take a full six months after Beretser's ruling just for the High Court to decide on the next procedural step. This was extremely slow, particularly given that during the whole period, Sanj remained incarcerated under needlessly restrictive conditions, purely preventative purposes, for his safety, remember? Um, By an order signed on 5 July 2021, High Court Justice Jonathan Swift finally granted U.S. permission to appeal the ruling on three out of five grounds. Most importantly, Justice Swift rejected any effort of the U.S. government to second-guess. District Judge Beretser's conclusion on the validity and weight of medical and expert evidence brought by the parties during the extradition hearing, in particular concerning the assessment of Assange's mental health and the resulting risk of suicide. On these points of fact, Judge Baratzer's evidential findings were found to fall within the bounds of reasonableness, which makes them difficult for the U.S. to challenge. Crucially, however, Justice Swift decided that the High Court would hear the appeal on the three three remaining grounds— First, in the view of the United States, Judge Beretser had not correctly applied the legal criteria set out in the 2003 Extradition Act for determining whether it would be oppressive to extradite Assange on grounds of his mental condition. Most notably, according to the U.S. government, Beretser had not sufficiently evaluated the measure in place in U.S. prisons for the prevention of suicide, but had simply jun- jumped to the conclusion that Assange was sufficiently determined and intelligent to circumvent any such measures regardless. Second, Judge should have avoided should have afforded the United States the opportunity to provide undertakings, that is, diplomatic assurances, that would have alleviated her concerns about Assange being subjective to excessively harsh detention conditions, and in particular to Sam's. Thirdly, and accordingly, the United States provided the United Kingdom with what it described as a package of assurances which are specifically responsive to the findings made by the district judge and which, quote, deal comprehensively with the conditions of detention Which the district judge found would precipitate Mr. Assange becoming suicidal. In particular, the United States guaranteed that Assange would not be subject to SAMS or imprisoned at the infamous ADX Supermax facility in Florence, Colorado, unless he were to do something subsequent to offering these assurances that would justify such measures or designation. Moreover, the United States guaranteed that Assange would quote receive any such clinical and psychological treatment as is recommended by a qualified treating clinician employed or retained by the prison where he is held in custody last but not least the United States also assured Assange we would be allowed to serve any US imposed prison sentence in his native Australia none of this came as a surprise to me and none of it came as a relief as always When governments give diplomatic assurances, these undertakings look decent on paper, but play out completely differently in practice. While the U.S. government may have excluded the application of SAMS to Assange, as well as his imprisonment in a particular institution, that assurance remains extremely narrow and can easily be circumvented. In reality, on any given day, approximately 80,000 prisoners are being held in solitary confinement across the United States. Only a few hundred of them are imprisoned at the ADX Florence and only about 50 are under SAMS. In fact, most federal and state prisons in the United States have a solitary confinement unit where inmates are isolated for a range of punitive, disciplinary, or administrative reasons. Instead of special administrative measures, these detention regimes may be called administrative segregation, restrictive housing, communication management units, or involuntary protective custody, and may be imposed by an authority other than the U.S. Attorney General. But in essence, it all amounts to the same torturous practice of keeping inmates locked up in a tiny concrete cell with no meaningful activity or human interaction for more than 22 hours per day, often for prolonged periods ranging from several weeks to several decades and without any effective legal remedy. In result, the assurances given would do nothing to protect Assange from being held in prolonged solitary confinement and other cruel, inhuman, or degrading detention decisions, conditions. As for the assured medical and psychological treatment, this would depend entirely on the assessment and recommendations made by a doctor or nurse employed at the prison where Assange is incarcerated, which in reality is of the same value as making no assurance at all. Finally, Assange's assured edu- eligibility for serving his U.S. custodial sentence in Australia only becomes relevant following conviction, sentencing, and the conclusion of any appeals. Assange would therefore have to remain in the United States for the entire duration of his legal proceedings and until the exhaustion of all legal remedies. Given the complexities of his case, this entire process could well last a decade or more. In other words, as a matter of law, None of the assurances made by the United States would provide Assange with any legal protection from being subjected to prolonged solitary confinement, excessive shackling, sensory deprivation, medical negligence, and various other forms of cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment routinely employed in the U.S. prison system. Just as importantly, of course, these assurances do not even begin to address any of the legal issues. Of paramount importance that were simply swept under the carpet by Judge Beretzer. This includes most notably the massive due process violations Assange has been exposed to through unlawful surveillance and irregular confiscation of his belongings by the United States the notoriously unfair trial awaiting him at the espionage court in Alexandria, and the fundamentally flawed nature of the U.S. indictment in view of press freedom protections, the prohibition of extradition for political offenses, the fabrication of false witness testimonies, and the reported discussions at the highest level of the U.S. government of kidnapping, irregularly rendering, or even assassinating Assange. In order for any of these issues to receive a proper judicial review, along with a systematic violation of Assange's rights during the British proceedings, his legal team must be allowed to cross-appeal. On 11 August 2021, High Court Justices Timothy Holroyd and Judith Farby, upheld an appeal by the U.S. government against Justice Swift's decision of 5th July, and granted the United States permission to appeal Beretser's ruling on all five grounds, including challenging the evidence on Assange's mental health and suicide risk. The main appeals hearing was held on 27 and 28 October of 2021, before Chief Justice Ian Duncan Burnett and the most senior judge in England and Wales, and again, Justice Holroyd. The hearing did not bring any surprises. The U.S. presented its case, attacked the credibility of the medical experts and evidence relied upon by Judge Boratzer, downplayed Assange's health issues and suicide risk, and emphasized the beneficial effects of the assurances offered. The defense team, in turn, insisted on the reliability of the relevant medical evidence and demonstrated how easily the U.S. diplomatic assurances could be circumvented in practice. By and large, the judges asked questions of clarification, and at the end of the day, concluded the hearing without announcing a date for the rendering of their judgment. So where do we go from here? Which one of the many conceivable scenarios will materialize? Will the British High Court of Justice live up to its honorable name, function, and reputation? Will the judges have the personal courage and professional integrity to call the bluff of the U.S. government's assurances and reject their appeal? Will they call out the British authorities for their corrupt persecution of Assange and overturn Beretser's unsustainable judicial precedent? Or will they choose the path of least resistance and allow themselves to be instrumentalized? Will they engage in willful blindness, self-deception, and judicial contortion and either allow the extradition to go forward or perpetuate Assange's arbitrary detention in Belmarsh by sending the case back to the magistrate's courts for retrial? While it is difficult to predict the exact evolution of these proceedings in the coming months, and potentially even years, from a legal perspective, they have long become a travesty of justice whose sole purpose is to silence Assange and to intimidate journalists and the broader public worldwide. From a strictly procedural point of view, after the British High Court, both parties could appeal to the highest court in the United Kingdom, the Supreme Court. After that, if extradition is confirmed, Assange could still appeal to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. At the snail's pace currently imposed by the British judiciary, all of these procedural steps and remedies could take several years, and this is discounting the duration of subsequent proceedings at the espionage court and related legal remedies in the United States. After more than a decade of judicial persecution in four jurisdictions, one cannot help but hear the chilling echoes of Stratford's 2010 recommendation, Pile On, Move Him from Country to Country to Face Various Charges for the Next 25 Years. In my assessment in terms of legal process and the enormous sociopolitical risks associated with it, The trial of Julian Assange may well prove to be the biggest judicial scandal of our times. The merciless persecution that this man has been exposed to and the shameless betrayal of justice and human rights demonstrated by all the governments involved are beyond disgraceful. They profoundly undermine the credibility, integrity, and sustainability of Western democracy and the rule of law. By now, it is clear that the United States will never succeed in building, a legally sustainable case against Assange, whether under the Espionage Act or under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act or any other legislation that his publishing activities related to WikiLeaks are fully protected under the international human rights law and the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution." It is therefore high time for this hopeless case to be abandoned and for Assange's freedom and human dignity to be restored along with the credibility and the integrity of the United States and its allies in terms of press freedom, justice, and the rule of law. But let us also remember that so far the letter of the law has been all but irrelevant in this case and that the only decisive factors throughout all involved jurisdictions have been political interests. Ultimately, Therefore, the fate of Julian Assange depends on President Joe Biden and his administration. For eight years, Biden was vice president in the Obama administration, which declined to prosecute Assange, but never explicitly guaranteed him immunity from prosecution. Even when President Obama finally commuted Manning's sentence, he opted out to let Assange off the hook, but to perpetuate the deterrent effect of his confinement at the Ecuadorian embassy. It is to be hoped that Biden has more to offer than repeating Obama's mistakes. In December 2010, Vice President Biden described Assange as a high-tech terrorist, but he did so on the basis of assumptions that have been since disproved. In the same month, Biden also publicly acknowledged that WikiLeaks' releases had caused no substantive damage Other than to be embarrassing for the United States government, may he now be inspired by another predecessor of his, former President Jimmy Carter, who once said, I did not deplore the WikiLeaks' revelations. They just made public what was actually the truth. Most often the revelation of the truth, even if it's unpleasant, is beneficial. I think that, almost invariably, the secrecy is designed to conceal improper activities and not designed for the well-being of the general public. Indeed, today it is palpably obvious that Assange is not an enemy of the United States or of any other country in the world. Rather, he is an inconvenient truth-teller and messenger who holds up a mirror to all of us and shines a spotlight on our systemic and societal failures. Sure, we can angrily smash this mirror and make the unwanted reflection go away, but the harmful effects of our collective shortcomings will still be there. The only honest response to this challenge is to leave the mirror intact and even polish it so that we may better see and correct our own failures. Anything else is a denial of reality compared to ignoring the fire alarm in the house of our civilization and comes at a price which we as a species soon will no longer be able to afford. Whether President Biden will have the wisdom, integrity, and courage to end the persecution of Assad remains to be seen. For these three, wisdom, integrity, and courage, are the qualities that make a great statesman, those which only a few have the strength to honor when it matters most, and without which not one of the great global challenges of our time can be resolved. And that is the end. We could read the epilogue, but I won't burden you with it at the moment. So I have with me, Charlie, Kevin, and Gregor. Thank you for joining us here on the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast. Okay, so this leaves me to pursue um, the matter of this Reporters Committee note. So the changes to its news media guidelines. So the Reporters Committee for Freedom worked with a coalition of news media, Representatives to meet with the DOJ officials to advocate for strengthening protections. The guidelines also bar efforts to seize records from or of journalists engaged in news gatherings more broadly. But the new limits on National Security leak investigations are particularly notable. So, for the last several years, we have worked with newsrooms to push for meaningful reform and are grateful to the Justice Department officials who saw this new rule over the finish line. Uh, for more on the significance of the new Justice Department's regulation, um, there was a CNN guest essay written by Brown and Gabe Rotman of RCFP's Technology and Press Freedom Project. So, I'll just go to this Rolling Stone um, Article. So this was published a couple days ago on the 16th. So today is Friday. It was published Wednesday by Tim Dickinson. So the highlights are the DOJ investigated journalists for insider trading, stalking and worse. Uh, The red wave fell apart. And uh, let's see here. The Department of Justice says it's no longer treating acts of journalism as crimes, but insists it's probing some alarming crimes potentially committed by journalists. And there's there's room there there's room there there has been major license taken by journalists to do stalking. I think they weren't really de- conducting journalism; they were just harassing certain people. Taylor Lorenz is one of those one of those folks that might be should be kind of taking a second look at their their press approaches. Um, <clears throat> The Biden administration has taken pains to distance itself from Donald Trump's treatment of the media, which the 45th president delighted in railing against the enemy of the people. And in late October, Attorney General Merrick Garland officially announced that the Department of Justice will no longer investigate members of the media for their news reporting, including for the possession of classified information. In his remarks, Garland celebrated an independent press as, quote, the vital to the, the functioning of our democracy, end quote. On the surface, this new policy initially published in July of 2021 represents a sea change from the chilling tactics of the Trump era. A little-noticed DOJ report documenting federal warrants and subpoenas against reporters over the course of 2021 appears to show a ceasefire in government hostilities against acts of journalism but that same report also records a significant number of federal investigations against reporters for other crimes, including financial crimes, stalking, and child exploitation, according to records reviewed by Rolling Stone. In each and every case, the Justice Department asserts, quote, the suspected criminal conduct was wholly outside the scope of the journalist's journalist's (laughs) news-gathering activities. These contrasting facts leave skeptics with concerns, could any of the recent criminal investigations against journalists mask payback for unwanted reporting? Hmm. So, the new regulation from the Department of Justice, effective November 3rd, effective now, directs federal law enforcement to stop issuing warrants and subpoenas against members of the media who are engaged in news gathering, including on leaked classified information. Introducing policy, Garland Garland insisted that reporters must have the freedom to investigate and report the news. Bruce Brown, the the executive director of Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, helped shape the new regulation, heralded it as a watershed moment. Officially, the Biden administration is repudiating the heavy-handed approach of the Trump regime. I, I love how they always call it a regime when they think that they're autocrats. So, which sought to stodge government leaks of classified information by making intrusive legal demands for reporters' emails, phone records, and sources. Ooh. So, at the direction of the Att- Attorney General Bill Barr, the Trump DOJ clashed with the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN, among other major news organizations. Upon taking office, Joe Biden described his chilling behavior as simply, simply wrong. And in mid-2021, Garland issued a memo jumpstarting the change, now cemented in regulation touting the national interest in news media being able to safeguard their whistleblowing sources. The effects of this Biden policy shift already appear in the federal accounting. Every year since 2014, the Justice Department has quietly released an audit of legal actions t- taken against the members of the news media. How interesting. Definitely go to the link that I'm now going to place in the chat. Because I think that audit link is really important. Hmm. Let me see. I'm going to go there now. Let's see here. Are you there? Okay, this is it. So, I'm going to go to this and then I'm going to pull up that audit link because that's going to be interesting. That's some raw data, I hope. Wah, 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 wah. Let's go there now. I'd like to see audit requirements. I'd like to see it. Okay, we'll do it later. So, let's continue. So the effects of this Biden policy shift already appear in the federal accounting. Every year since 2014, the Justice Department has quietly released an audit of legal actions taken against members of the news media. In 2020, the last year of the Trump administration, the DOJ recorded seven subpoenas and warrants served against reporters that were personally signed off on by then Attorney General Barr. In 2021, the first year with Garland at the head of the DOJ, that number fell to zero. So the 2020 report describes highly controversial subpoenas, including for cell phone and email records belonging to New York Times journalists. And the reporters were not in legal jeopardy, but the Trump DOJ demanded the records in an effort to track down a federal leaker who would reportedly offered the reporters details about the contacts, contacts between the Russian ambassador and high-ranking members of the Trump campaign. In 2021 report, released September shows no similar activity. The report encompasses the events of January 6th, and it describes voluntary compliance by members of the media with investigators of the insurgency. The feds did obtain grand jury subpoenas for journalists, but only, it says, after the reporters agreed in advance to comply. So the report also includes significant alleged wrongdoing by reporters far outside the context of news gatherings. The litany of charges include insider trading, money laundering, stalking, and child exploitation. A DOJ spokesperson refused to elaborate on any specifics beyond the text of the report. The most intriguing entry describes a reporter who allegedly participated in insider trading activities with an ex federal officer office holder. The report reads in part Investigators had established probable cause that the members of the news media had participated in the insider trading activities with three co-conspirators and was in communication with the primary target of the investigation, a former U.S. congressperson. In a darker allegation, the report describes a warrant served on a reporter's internet records after investigators established a probable cause that the member of the news media had engaged in conduct involving the exploitation of children. And another warrant against a member of the media served for stalking offenses. The target of the investigation allegedly engaged in harassment and stalking of multiple people. This perpetrator used spyware and hacked into social media accounts and allegedly sought to damage the reputation of the victims. So the DOJ's little-known annual reports are tucked away in the agency's FOIA library. And the disclosure of legal actions taken against journalists was born of a transparency push of the Obama administration following a controversy that erupted when it became public that Attorney General Eric Holder had personally signed off on a warrant to obtain personal email of Fox News reporter. That happened. Who was that? And this is the same guy who let Stratford say, Throw the book at Julian Assange. It wasn't Tucker. But the NSA went after Tucker. And I thought that that was weird. It's still weird. Oh, by the way, there's there's more news on that. Um, I had a tweet. Where was it? Um, it was about... I sent it... Actually, I actually sent it to Tucker. Let me see, let me see if I can find it. It's buried under all this other stuff that's like assembling accountability, algorithmic impact assessment statements, and la, 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 la. It was something I sent to Ed Snowden. I did send something to Ed Snowden. Okay, so let's go back to, this was on the 16th. Yeah, same day. Same day that this news report was released. Hey Greg, do you want to call in? You can. I go dig this up. And there's a guy, James Gordon Meek. Where the hell is he? Where is he? Um, the, the FBI got him. And I think he's still got. <laughs> That's what I think. Oh my God. <clears throat> Sorry about the cough.
0: Yeah, well. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I re- I remember reading about Meeks. What is he, he? Did he disappear in like February or something? No,
1: no. I think it was last month. He was just he was just taken.
0: No, he t- was t- taken in February, but nobody noticed. Yeah. Oh my God,
1: it's been a while, um, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was it's several months. He he suddenly was he let go. Of, he suddenly disappeared from work. Nobody knows no reason given. He just disappeared. And I mean, he's like a major producer there.
1: Yeah, he's a national security producer.
0: So, you know, it was that, that was an, that was an interesting thing. Now, I, from what I understand, he is living quietly somewhere. I don't think the FBI actually has him anymore, but they did take him and he disappeared and is now not saying anything to anybody. So, huh. So he's just kind of. But yeah, no, you talk, talk to you're right. I vaguely remember it was just the NSA that was snooping on him. He found out from one of his sources, apparently, that um, somebody at the NSA was snooping on Tucker. So, which I, you know, this whole, (sighs) the the media is really, it's really sad because they're acquiescing so much that they're not gonna end up anywhere. You know, it's gonna be a, um, you know, they're saying, yeah, I don't, you know, we will say this bad thing about Trump, but we won't say anything about the other guys. Because that's the popular thing, and and you know, let's face it, we know that the current administration has lots of things to go against.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do, and, but they've been they've been going after these people for years. Like, it, there's always been some sort of tussle with the press, but it got really rough. It started to get really rough around uh, two thousand. 2010. So it just, it didn't seem very, very good to me. <clears throat> Let's see if I'm, I'm in the right column here. But I did, I called it to attention to, to Edward Snowden. And I wish I had. It was, it was a PR piece. Uh, the NSA offered to perform... That's what it was. It was the NSA offered to perform free information security uh, advantages and audits uh, to Twitter. <laughs>
0: oh, we'll do it for free. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, uh, you know, it's. there have been huge <laughs> debates in the libertarian space about whether or not, you know, everyone was saying that companies are you know they're they're their own people they can do whatever they want until we yeah. found out and all of a sudden we found out that they were literally at the behest of the fbi yeah. changing things well they can't do that it's like well you know that's what many of us have been saying for months is that or years even that you know these these are organizations are not private companies anymore they're extensions of the fbi or yeah, from nsa or service conference huh?
1: okay this happened it was the state department this time it was you know the dod this time it was the cia this time it was you know, you know it goes on and on and on, and on. it was the D- last month it was the dhs you know who's it going to be t- who shall it be tomorrow <laughs> today's service contractor today the past
0: tomorrow today's <laughs> free speech is brought to you by the national security administration you know
1: this is viva free fray and this is i don't consider myself to be uh, a right wing but i take it a
0: compliment when people accuse me of being right wing um yeah, so he I pronounces it fry i actually fry. follow him on, yeah no, Viva I had... fry i okay. i actually pr- follow
1: okay so recent stories the media almost instantly stopped talking about paul pelosi ftx the university of virginia shooting shinzo abi assassination Whitmer kidnapper acquittals, the Hunter Biden laptop, murder of journalist Jeff German. I didn't even know about that. FBI informants with the Oath Keepers. What did I miss? So I'm going to click on that thread. Just I said James Gordon Meeks. So let
0: me see. What yeah, I don't is. know if he, if he, I haven't ever ever heard him mention Meeks until like last week or something. He finally got a hold of
1: And it's Meek. It's singular. I keep saying Meeks. Because
0: that's my reflexive, you know, like, ah, I want to say Meeks. Yeah, it's, I'm it's, with you. It's Get it right, producer. Yeah, Viva is, a, is a, a recovering, as he calls himself, a recovering lawyer from Canada. And he's spent a lot of time during the uh, uh, impeachment hearings um, commenting on American Jewish jurisprudence. It was fascinating because he was an outside guy looking in. Um, you know, he's he's intelligent, a little strange, but you know that's fine. Strange. strange isn't bad; it's just different. Um, and and it's sort of.
1: a lot of reporter, reporting at the Intercept, and I was staying really close to her, her news reporting, because she was doing a lot on the IG reports. The um, This is the, the investigative watch about dogs inside the government. And she found kind of like a closed circuit to where there was no real accountability at the end of that circuit. And it really, you know, it was an upsetting piece to read, but you know, she's like, this is kinda of like the end of the line. Like that's that's the last, you know, internal accountability coordination because people were just they were just reaching and scrapping for anything that could hold the national security state accountable. And because the the political willingness was not there and <clears throat> during the Obama administration. And so we've got we've got the same partisan actors around. Um But I don't know if they're, they're learning their lessons. It's encouraging that Biden has made this move. But I don't really know where where Julian Assange would sit in context of a national security or classified document indictment. They need to go back and dust that off and really look at it and, and let
0: him go. <laughs> well, given, given his original predecessor, you know, the predecessor of Obama and I think, you know, so I guess Bush wasn't involved with the Assange thing. He was with the Snowden no, thing. I no, mean, right?
1: it was totally an Obama thing.
0: Yeah. So, you know, my, my thought is, since it is my feeling that everybody from the Obama cabinet pretty much works for Biden, I'm kind of doubting they're going to do anything for Assange, except for continue to prosecute and persecute at least, if not prosecute. Well, so and I
1: hope that they'll they'll conform to the
0: will of the people. No. Why would you say that? Well, uh-huh. what will of the people have they tried to go to for right now? The only thing they're talking about is is a woman's right to choose, which you know is fine, sacrosanct, et cetera. I, you know, do I agree with it? No, but it's not my choice. You know, it's it's I'm I'm a libertarian, do what you want, but. um you know they've they've not done anything of the will of the people. They've only done the will of the party, and that's I, so I don't see I don't see anything good done. Political crime with, with Assange. Well, so, I, we're talking, but yeah, we're talking about a president who's heavily involved already in crimes that we have seen, hence the laptop, you know, by, uh, Hunter laptop and business dealings and other things. So I don't. I don't see that uh, Biden's going to even pay attention. I mean, I mean, let's hope I'm wrong.
1: Well, I, mean, I want to be wrong. I wasn't even paying attention, and he, he did something on behalf of the press. So anything's possible. Anything really is possible if we if we lean in. And, and these people are working closely, the Reporters Committee. Um, it's possible that they could do more for Assange. It's possible that Freedom of the Press Foundation could do more for Assange. Uh, and that now would be the time to, to pull hard on those strings to do it. Because this is a new policy. They could, really, they could really invoke that and maybe walk out on it a little bit more. So I'm encouraged, but I, I, it hasn't been tested. It needs to be proven. You know, where it falls down, where the policy will fall down, um, makes, makes or breaks what happens to, to Julian. I'm hoping he'll get out from underneath it, to be honest. But you know that—that's—that's that's if I had a prayer to God. This is our window; we
0: should take it. Well, and I don't disagree, and I would hope that they would. But I'm also the the you know the press as a general rule tends to out to this administration, and they follow their lead. Um, you know, it's not—it's not that the press is independent from the current administration. And, you know, this was all predicted in 2001 when the Patriot Act and some of this other associated things that were used oh, yeah. towards these people. I mean, this is, you know, this is nothing new. Um, the Patriot Act was a terrible decision. I thought it was a terrible decision in 2001. You know, I, I wrote my congressman, told him this is too much. We're going too far. It's going to be abused. It's going to be, no, 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 it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And yet, here we are, you know, abused and abused.
1: Yeah. Abused and also abused, <laughs> and concurrently abused, and abused to evade sunset, and it be also abused. So um, the DNI needs to be really reorganized. Um, also, the the way that con- surveillance is contracted that needs to be looked at because nobody's ever consulted in communities. Um, they're never given, well I won't say never, unless there was a, a regulation passed in local communities where they're notified of uh, surveillance going in, you know, governments and local governments typically don't want you to know that you're being watched these days. They, they want the the surveillance to appear non-intrusive, but that's not what it is. It's very intrusive, and one of the things that came out during this, this reading was that surveillance has tremendous powers of psychological abuse and kettling um, that, that are subtle, and that the, the effects of that surveillance on a population can last for years. And, you know, in a free country, we really shouldn't be playing around, toying around with these things. We should, we should you know, get after it with extreme gusto and get rid of it. So um, I've said what I needed to say. Uh, is there anything else, any final remarks? Kevin, Charlie, Gregor? I'll let you have the last word. <laughs> As one of our buddies on the networks would say. Go ahead. I'll let you take well, it out. Well,
0: thank you very much. And you know, Sheila, thank you for reading this. This has been a really good, enjoyable time. And yeah, we need to figure out a way to push for actual justice. And I don't mean Equity, I mean justice.
1: <laughs> I mean real justice, exactly. Yeah, I mean
0: real justice where, you know, and, and that is of part of the problem news. is nobody knows what justice means. So, well. you know, thank you very much for your service. I really, I really enjoy- Oh,
1: yeah. I salute you, my friend. Thank you for, for stopping in. Uh, you've been listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen and the Chapter 14 finale. And during the last three days of 100 days of call-in, we'll see you tomorrow.
0: Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Podomatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call-in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.